You're listening to Paleo Runner Podcast, a podcast devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. You'll also find me on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to facebook.com slash runpaleo. My Twitter handle is at runpaleo. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. This helps increase the visibility of the show. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes. Click on ratings and reviews. You can email feedback to Aaron at paleo. If you downloaded the show through iTunes and are listening on an Apple device, you can follow along with links and chapters. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download by going to audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I just finished listening to The Willpower Instinct. I found this book really interesting, and I've been using the methods in the book to enhance my daily activities, including running and just helping me become more productive. Just by getting your free audiobook, you're going to become more productive. I listen to two to three books a month just while I'm driving in my car or out for a run. The great thing about Audible is that if you don't like the book, you can actually return it for a different one, and I've done this several times. Go to paleorunner.org and click on Audible at the top of the page. My guest today is running coach Eric Orton. I first heard about Eric after reading Chris McDougall's Born to Run. In the book, Eric teaches Chris McDougall how to run with proper form and eventually coaches McDougall to run a 50-mile ultra marathon in the Copper Canyons of Mexico with the Tarumara Indians. Eric's approach to training has been featured in Men's Health, Esquire, Men's Journal, and Ski Magazine. He's the former director of fitness at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. He's a certified functional training specialist, a certified sports hypnotist, and holds coaching certifications in both USA Triathlon and USA Cycling. Eric's latest book is called The Cool Impossible, and it's available for pre-order on Amazon. Thanks so much for being part of the show, Eric. It's great to have you on. Great. Thanks, Aaron. I love being on. So how did you first get interested in running? Oh, man. I um, I, I was always an athlete. I mean, my earliest memories are, you know, ru- running in the playground. And I, I actually was a football player, you know, real early on. So I, and I, ironically enough, I was a running back. So ru- running and sprinting and in the whole athletic um, background was really kind of with me from day one and as early as I can remember. Okay. Okay. When did you start to get into the longer stuff? Yeah, I um, I played college football and then uh, after graduating, moved off to Colorado and uh, one of the best decisions I ever made and when, when moving out West, I um, just kind of was looking for kind of how to take my athleticism to to kind of post college and and what what that's going to look like for the rest of my life and really just kind of got caught into the whole endurance um, world of of Boulder and and Denver and uh, just just really started loving being out in the mountains all day running so it's uh, it, it was uh, I don't know just one of those kind of life changing moments for me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What were there differences that you saw be- between how as a football player versus a distance runner doing these longer distances? Did what kind of uh, things did you drew you to that longer distance? Right. Well, I- ironically, um, my background in sprinting and kind of the the, the faster twitch type of running and training really helped me to develop my system and and run technique and a lot of my run philosophy for endurance. And I I think um, a lot of times we try to separate the two um, and and rightfully so from a training standpoint, but 
there's a lot of principles that we can take from from either and, and apply them. So um, my, my background really, I, th- I think, allowed me to see things a little differently that really helped. Okay. Can you can you talk a little bit about how you got Chris, who, who you, well, talk a little bit about how you and Chris McDougall met and how did you get him to eventually run a 50 mile ultra when he came and when he came to you, he was injured, right? Absolutely. Well, um, he, he came to me um, to do an article on my training here in Jackson Hole and we met in Denver and it was, he was coming off his first trip to the Copper Canyon and had just, his his first article in Runner's World had just come out. So he brought the first article about the Taramar Indians with him for our meeting. And I was so excited about that because, you know, they're, they're, they're quite an inspiration for me and, and my ultra running career. And so I, I was trying to pick his brain just as much as he was trying to pick mine. But, but ultimately, um, we, we, we planned to meet for two days in Denver. And I, after that first date became quite obvious to me that he was really bummed out about his running and really wanted to become a runner. Um, so I, I really went back to the hotel that night and ripped up my script for the next day and just devoted that next day to teaching him how to run. And that's all we worked on. And that, that day culminated with us sitting on the, the golf course green at City Park in Denver and kind of devising this idea of going down to the Copper Canyon. And that was really the kind of the first kind of the, just the, the the beginning of Born to Run, the whole process. So mm-hmm. um, about a month later, he called me and said, hey, let's do it. Will you coach me? And um, that's that's kind of how it all got started. Okay. It sounds like a lot of your training is directed towards getting the proper form first, um, getting some of those neuromuscular circuits to fire in the proper way, and then adding distance later. Is Can you talk a little bit about your approach to training? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, talking about that and, and using Chris as a, as a good example is um, – Kind of, you know, I, I look at all of that. And um, for me, there's kind of a three prong approach that you have to look at form, you have to look at strength, and you have to look at the, the actual cardiovascular training or the running foundation of the actual training. Um, so run form is obviously very important. And there, there's a lot of chatter now about, you know, is there a right way to run or is there a wrong way to run? You know, you can find studies that prove one way or prove the other. Um, but what no one's talking about and what I feel is the most important element is how good form really makes you feel mm-hmm. and how it creates muscle equilibrium. And it, it actually becomes a form of strength training while you're running. And no one talks about that, and it's it's something that can't be proven um, necessarily, which is um, what everybody wants to do. Um, so I apply good form that is good strength and firing muscle patterns in an appropriate way, and then apply that to strength where I start with foot strength first. Um, everything we do as a runner is, is, is on our feet. So again, no one talks about training the feet, and I have a system to train the feet that that activates muscles or that neuromuscular pathways that you talked about earlier that really sets the foundation for how our muscles are used all the way up through the hip. Um, and then applying all that to how we train as, as runners and developing what I call raw speed and raw strength initially while we're building our base or what we would typically consider, you know, building long miles. So me, for me as a coach, it's a fine balance of developing early season strength and um, speed as well as developing um, that endurance base that we need to apply that to speed endurance later on. So again, full circle with Chris, um, his problem was that he was inefficient in a lot of ways. 
and therefore he could not run slowly well hmm. which which means every time he went out it was uncomfortable for him to run in a comfortable effort to allow him to put in base miles therefore he would speed up to make it more comfortable and therefore overtrain and, and develop these these injuries and hmm. that that's a common thing I see for a lot of runners is that the more inefficient we are the harder it is for us to run slowly and appropriately um so you know i could go on forever and ever mm-hmm. but that that was really the core of what what chris and i worked on which then led to developing proper intensities for the purpose of each run okay so it sounds like at most people as they're training at a faster pace they become slightly more efficient but as they slow down and start slogging through the miles maybe some of those injuries start to creep in some of that form starts to deteriorate is that what you're saying exactly and that's it's something that's maybe sounds a little counterintuitive where someone thinks oh i'm i'm just putting in long slow miles and I, I'm not, we, we always think about hearing about speed and, and some of the intensity side that leads to injuries. But I believe a lo- most times injuries come from the slow running because that's the majority of the running we're doing. And every, for example, for Chris, every time he was taking a step, he was breaking down. Mm-hmm. And the more it finished inefficient we are, the harder it is for us to run slowly. Um, so again, we're thinking we're running slowly. I'm, I'm doing what I should be doing, but we're breaking our body down and we need to reverse that process. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So and, and again, that real quickly, that that's done through understanding what a, a slow appropriate pace is. So you're patient with it, but then also on the other side, Doing short sprints, doing short hill repeats during that base building helps develop that efficiency, which is what we did with Chris early on. And he went from, in a matter of six weeks, he was up to almost four-hour run without without much base, what we would consider, you know, traditional base building. Okay. So how how does mileage play a factor here? You said within about six weeks you got him up to a four-hour run and injury-free. Right. And how do you how does a is that like one run a week? Is he doing that every day? How does mileage play a role in in your program? Yeah, where it gets tricky from a coaching standpoint is that it's really hard for me to give a general answer because everybody's so different. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with Chris, would I have had to have done it a little bit slower and had more time? Absolutely. We we didn't. Um, But it, it also went to amplify the effects of instituting sprints and hill repeats and strength runs early season that helps develop that foundation. Um, so I don't know yeah. if I'm answering your question, yeah, that, or not, that's but it, that's... you know, it, 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 volume is very important. And I would, I guess I would answer it this way is that it's more important to look what you're doing throughout the whole week rather than just one run. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it sounds like your methods are a little bit counterintuitive from a lot of the books I've read on running. They say you start out the season with real kind of slow running, you're building your base and then later on you add some speed, but you're saying start out with the speed first, get your form down and then add more mileage. Is that sound? Is that well? The, again, okay. the trick for me is to do that both at the same time. So okay. building building mileage and volume is important, especially dependent on the the, the athlete or the runner. Um, a more seasoned runner, that's less of importance because they probably have that base of volume. Um, whereas a, more of a beginner, they they need to build slowly. But it's it's understanding the level of intensities to allow you to m- marriage the slow miles as with speed and strength. 
strength. Okay. And okay. It, it's also important to understand what speed is. You know, yeah. what early season I'm talking, you know, 10, 15 second intervals. Okay. 10, 15, 30 second, not, not four or five minutes. Okay. Four or five, three to five minute hard, fast intervals are speed endurance intervals. And that's done later. Okay. So I think that's an important thing to say is that when I talk about raw speed early season, it's training your body to just go faster and fire more muscles and, and invite them to the party because that's going to help you on those slower runs become more efficient. And that's what helped Chris. Okay. So you, you helped Chris. Do you have some other success stories that you could talk to us about? Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, people, you know, people are probably listening yeah. and thinking, you know, okay, this, yeah. uh, he helped one guy, uh, if they haven't read born to run, you've got yeah. to go read it. But yeah. what, what other people are there? Do you have elite athletes? Is this for an everyday runner or yeah. what kind of people are you helping? Yeah. Well, be- before, prior to born to run kind of my niche and what I was good at and where I was really passionate was helping what I consider fast people get faster. So I, I helped a lot of people kind of who were maybe that second tier level mm-hmm. really make those small increments of improvement that really helped catapult their, their ability. Um, so I, I, I've, you know, have I've coached triathletes to world championships in, in every distance, which I'm proud of because that that shows um, my diversity and understanding that I can get someone to do a sprint distance or a, an Ironman. Um, and that's translates over to now ultra running where, you know, I have people training for short trail races all the way up to a hundred miles. And I've, you know, I've had great success with that. Um, so that that's prior to born to run, I was really helping kind of the sub elite athlete really improve and take what they have and really make that next leap. Um, but then since born to run, I, I was in a unique situation where I had, uh, you know, literally thousands of people who really identified with Chris. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I can tell you, I get an email every week saying, Hey, you know, I'm just like Chris, how can you help me? Um, so that's been the challenge now is to, okay, how can I help, you know, thousands of people put all this together that they may think they understand part of what needs to take place, but um, that's where I wanted the book and my book, you know, writing my book to come out and to really give the whole, the whole story and the whole way to put it together. And then readers can kind of pick and choose, you know, how, how much they want to do or how, how, how much of the program they want to do. Okay. So your book is called the cool impossible. What does that phrase mean? Um, the cool impossible is what I kind of the the tagline is um, dreaming beyond fear and living beyond limits. And what that really means is that we as athletes and we as humans, it's human nature to kind of want to know what an outcome is going to be if, if we're going to take it on. Hey, if I do a hundred mile or what's going to happen, um, it's just human nature to want to wonder and what, what that's going to, what that's going to look like. And that creates fear and mainly because we can never know the answer until we do it. And the cool impossible is to break down those mental barriers to say, Hey, you're not going to know. And it's not important whether you knew or not, let's just do it. And let's just, you know, go, go for it and see what happens. And so the cool impossible book itself mirrors what I do from a physical standpoint in training, run form, strength training, run training, and nutrition, and combines that with mental training and a very specific program for mental training that will take people ultimately through to help them develop their own cool impossible and do things they don't think they can do. Okay. Okay. Can you talk a little bit more about that mental training? We've had some people on talking about the role of the mind and running and how it regulates fatigue and running form 
common. Can, can you expound on that or yeah. what your approach is to, <laughs> to using the mind, I guess? Yeah, I think, you know, depending on the athlete, um, I, I say in the book that a lot of times we hear the, the body follows the mind. I think it's it's a yin yang thing. Is that it's not just one way. And I, I believe first and foremost, the body or the mind follows a good body. Meaning, if if we train from with discipline, we train appropriately, we get rewards from that. That's a great thing about fitness. Is is we do more, we do things better. Our body responds physically, and mm-hmm. we gain confidence from that. And that okay. confidence helps the mind, therefore, be able to think maybe beyond what is possible. And then, as we get into it, the mind starts controlling the the body. So it's a yin yang. It's not one or the the other. And that's really what, what the book is about. And my philosophy of training the mind is that you know, we, we have to have awareness of our physical training, but we also have to have the, uh, the awareness of what we think. And a lot of times we, what we think we, we see is true or that we believe it. And it, it's, it's just thought. And we need to have the awareness of, of that thought so we can move beyond the barriers that may stop us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and again, there, I have a sp- really specific protocol using um, visualization, using imagery, using mantras that is is a program just like you know a, a foot strength program mm. so it's not it's not just philosophy although there's philosophy in it but from that philosophy i put together a very specific program that you can follow to, to train the mind just like you would your running you know one of the things i really like about distance running especially some of these longer distances is that kind of that the mental aspect to it that it kind of it takes you to a new level and and you were talking about some of these breakthrough experiences that you can have where you know you take it to a new level where you didn't think you could achieve something and then you do it have you had some experiences like that in in your running career yeah i i I think that's what's so cool about running in general and there's you know i've done a lot of sports you know whether team sports or individual and the running is really unique and and I, I don't know if we know why but there's just something that happens um, while we're out there that we, we it, it kind of creates that awareness or what I call running in the flow of where where we just have that conversation with ourselves and um, it's it just creates possibilities and I think that's what's again so cool about longer distances that it, it, you have that time to spend with yourself so you know, I, I I literally can have that experience anytime I want. And, um, you know, that's what, you know, I've had, whether it's racing or just having adventure runs in the mountains, um, it, it's really no different to me. I've had, you know, that that's really where my creative process comes out and, and how I can express myself. And just from a personal standpoint, um, that's, that's where I feel most creative. Um, when I need to write something, I go for a run and I I write it in my mind and come back and write it down. Um, it's it's much easier for me to do that than sit down at the desk. So um, I, I've really created cool things for myself that's really started when I've been out running. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about that you have this multifaceted approach to running. And um, another thing, another topic I'd like to hit on is nutrition. What's mm-hmm. your approach to nutrition? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, I, I think, um, I, I guess the how... <laughs> well, I know the reason you, I ask you, is... You know, that's a, that's a can of worms. Yeah. Literally. Well, um, a lot of the listeners that have been listening to this show are a little bit interested in, in the paleo diet. That's, you know, it seems to be the latest nutrition buzz out there lately. And 
it's something that's helped me in my running. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering, you know, do you have, is it just a standard approach, get your fruit and veg, you know, your whole grains, or do you have a specific way of looking at it that's, that's different than others? For me personally, as a coach, um, I look at it as a whole and I experience, experience and try to experiment as much as I can, because I, I believe, you know, we can, whether it's paleo or vegan or whatever, my philosophy is that it goes back to that awareness is how, how, how are food, foods making me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, with all the blogs out there now, all the information out there, you can read whatever you want to believe. And right, right. that's that's a confusing thing for people. And that the message I'm trying to get across is have awareness of mm-hmm. what you're putting in your mouth. And with that awareness, notice how you feel, good and bad. And mm-hmm. it, the more just it's just like physical training. The more you do something, the more you have an acute awareness of how your body feels based on what you're eating. Um, and and with that, I think we focus. And this again, this is a general statement. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of very knowledgeable people out there, um, but I. I think in general, we try focus so much on fitting ourselves into a category mm-hmm. and what we should do that we lose sight of maybe all the basics that we're still doing of eating the crap, of eating the sugar. Um, and that sometimes gets lost. Mm-hmm. And w- whether you eat meat or not, you know, I don't know if we can all prove that. Um, I right. know what I believe because I know what I feel good at. And that, that's what I'm trying to get across in the book is have the awareness of how your body feels. Um, but to, to wrap that up is I, I think we still need to focus a lot more on um, eating clean fruits, vegetables, meat, if you if you choose to. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, get away from the crap we all know that we shouldn't be eating, the processed foods and the sugar. Right. And I, I think sometimes, again, we lose that focus when we're trying to prove the other side of things. Okay. So one of the things I like to ask people who come on the show is, what do you eat in a typical day? Sometimes it's interesting to hear, you know, yeah. what what's on your plate. Yeah, I, you know, um, I, getting back to your earlier question, I try to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, what that allows me to do is remain um, consistent or what I call eating 95.5, eating well 95% of the time. Um, so I, I try to keep things simple. I don't use a recipe because I think that again, adds time and I'm the cook in the family. Um, so that, that's kind of just my style, but uh, you know, I'll have eggs, um, and some fruit in the morning, um, depending on what kind of run I'm doing that day, I'll try to time my breakfast, you know, an hour or so before a run. So, um, you know, again, every day is a little different, but then for for lunch or a post run, I'll probably try to have a big salad with um, some t- some type of meat. You know, usually, um, you know, I, I'm a big fish. I, I love fish because it's easy. I can make a lot. Um, so again, some kind of salad with some some type of protein for for lunch with some fruit, um, and then for dinner, um, more more veggies and and usually some type of of protein. So I don't I don't eat meat every day, mm-hmm. um, but you know again I, I don't try to lump myself into into one category. Um, you know some days I'll eat vegetarian, some days I eat meat. So. Okay. Um, it, it, for me, the focus on is, is remaining consistent and staying away from the crap and, and eating as clean as possible. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, you know, I, I have the fortunate um, ability to living up here in Jackson to have access to 
great, you know, buffalo, elk, all these game meats that are, are really, really convenient. So we, we do eat a lot of that, um, which is, I think, unique to our, our environment here. Mm-hmm. You're in Jackson, Wyoming? Yes, yes. Okay. So you, you must have some great trails out there, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, they, it's it's world-class running, and uh, um, it, it really is. I mean, I spent 11 years in Denver, in Colorado, and love Colorado, but there's 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 no mountains in the states like like the Tetons. Mm-hmm. So uh, another topic I'd like to move on to is you recently came out with some footwear and they're really interesting. They're uh, kind of a split a split toe design. How did you come up with that? How did you get started in creating your own shoe and what 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 is your what are your thoughts on footwear? Um, well, that that was actually kind of one of my cool impossibles. Um, once once Born to Run came out, I had a gentleman from Atlanta call me. He read the book and he essentially wanted me to help him start a run shoe company. So we're, we're co-founders of um, B2R, which um, is one of my ways to help runners have the tools they need to to put it all together. Um, so it's it's been a long process. We have a, a road shoe that is out now that came out in August and it's online only right now. And I'm right in the middle of proto testing, hopefully my last version of our first trail shoe. So ultimately, we're going to have two road shoes and two trail shoes. One would be for shorter distance and one would be for longer distance, respectively. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, right now they have a split toe, but we're not necessarily confining ourselves to a split toe for every shoe. Okay. What is the importance of footwear? As you you were talking earlier about running form, how does footwear play a role in that? Yeah. that's a great question. Um, you know, footwear, foot strength, and form all kind of play a role together. And um, having what you know, again, now we've got all these buzzwords, minimal shoes, and natural running, and all that, but. The more natural environment you can eventually get into with a shoe through proper strength training and proper training, the better you're going to use your muscles, which going back to what we were saying earlier, the the better you use your muscles, the more efficient you're going to be. But ultimately, when we use our muscles appropriately, there's what happens is what I call muscle equilibrium. And therefore, we don't have dominant muscles and weak muscles that, again, creates efficiency. But even more importantly, no one talks about is it's how it how it makes us feel and but what i mean by that is it takes away the aches and pains Mm -hmm. you know we don't we don't as runners need to have tight hip flexors and tight it bands i I think we we get somewhat brainwashed that that's just par for the course that we're a runner and the more i run the tighter i'm going to get um tightness is is the opposite of muscle equilibrium and that can be trained and footwear plays a significant role in taking away the aches and pains and tightness and um, you know, so that, that, that's my answer with shoes mm-hmm. is that, you know, through, through whatever, everybody's different. And that's what I'm seeing. You know, there's not just one answer, um, of how to get there, but foot strength and, and really training the feet and your calves to get you in that minimal or natural environment with a shoe is very important. Mm-hmm. What some, some people who might not be familiar with minimal shoes, mm-hmm. what is the difference? I mean, can't, uh, someone the other day asked me, where should I go to buy a pair of running shoes? And I was like, oh man, right. I, I don't even know where to start because there's so many different options out there. And if you've been in a traditional running shoe for most of your life, going to min- a minimal style, more natural foot movement is going to be a huge difference. What What's your advice? Yeah. And I, I think with that real quickly, um, you know, we, we can't look at this maybe as 
as a an, an all or nothing proposition. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I I train mountain bikers and mountain bikers who race, they're, they're picking a tire based on the conditions, based on the distance, and based on um, the conditions that day and PSI. So, you know, we, we can also look at shoes that way. So someone who's coming from a very built up shoe, heel strike environment can use a minimal shoe as a training tool. Mm-hmm. Once or twice a week, they go out in that shoe to help work on form, help work on foot strike and help develop that strength. And eventually as they develop that strength, they're able to do more and more in that shoe. And a good clue I tell people is that once you're, you get proper foot strength and good form, your old shoes will start feeling uncomfortable. And at that time, that's a good kind of alarm bell to let you know that maybe you can make that transition fully over to the minimal shoe. Okay. But I, I think you also asked about what is a minimal shoe. And I think there's two distinctions is that one, just a lower profile in general or the, the thickness of, of your outsole and midsole, mm-hmm. but then also what they call a zero drop, which is the, the height differential from your heel to your forefoot. And um, a, a zero drop is, again, what I consider the most natural um, type of shoe that allows your foot to act most natural. And again, now you're, you're going to find a, a variety of ways to go with that. But th- those are the two distinctions I, I like to have people look for in a shoe. Okay. Are your shoes zero drop? They're, they're zero drop. And again, the reason we split the toe was the, the big toe plays a significant um, role in instability is that 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 toe acts as a natural stabilizer which helps the arch act as a natural stabilizer which stabilizes the knee and the hip um, so now we we're, we're separating that so you get that articulation and are able to use that big toe to really help create that stabilization that we need to be healthy runners um, and then from a design standpoint you know I'm a traditional runner and I wanted our shoes to look normal and look like a shoe look mm-hmm. like a running shoe and you know that that was big on my my priority list as well so i think we've accomplished that okay so you know we've talked about a lot of topics here what are one or two things that listeners to this interview can do to improve their running you know i, I think um it's a loaded question <laughs> uh, but i i think I'll, I'll answer it with some points that i know a lot of people aren't thinking about um and, and that again i keep alluding to foot strength is that you know we 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 know strength training is good for us and and we have muscles on the bottoms of our feet and nobody's training them and we Mm. can train them and it's so powerful and so potent um and such a performance enhancement that um i I really that's that's my passionate passionate message is to get people to start thinking about training their feet just like we know we need to train our core you know you don't have to convince someone how important training their core is whether they do it or not is another thing but it's it's my passion to get that message out there that our feet are just as important if not more than everything else in our body from a running standpoint and we need to train those mm-hmm. um and and then again you know going back to what we talked about chris is that you know really understanding intensity and how important building a strength foundation of sprints and hill work can be for any type of runner. You know, I hear it all the time. Oh, I'm not competitive and I'm not a racer, but I want to run healthy. Well, you should still do sprints and hills. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, again, I just just really answer it by what we talked about earlier. Well, Eric, uh, it's been great having you on the show today. Where can people go go to find out more about your methods? Yeah, well, um, you know, again, my, my reason for putting the book out was to 
really get get everything I've done the last 20 years out to thousands of people that have been asking me for the last three years. So um, the, the best form is going to be The Cool Impossible, which comes out May 7th. The book tour information, book information, and my blog are all on thecoolimpossible.com. Um, if they, they want to know about the shoes, they can go to borntorun.com, and that's um, with, with the number two. So okay. born to run. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll put a link up to both those sites and yeah. to your Amazon, yeah. your, your a link to your book on Amazon in the show notes. Awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it's it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. And I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. So thanks so much great. for being part of the show. I really appreciate it, Aaron. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. To find out more information, go to paleorunner.org. You can also find me on Facebook and Twitter. Go to facebook.com slash runpaleo or find me on Twitter with the handle at runpaleo. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Thanks for listening.